1208. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Let's get started. Big story number one. Here's how the Washington Post headline reads. I have to see you again. How Trump's alleged affair with a porn star spilled into public view. Now that is a headline that at least gets you to read the first paragraph or two. Their first meeting was in Lake Tahoe at a golf tournament in the summer of 2006. He invited her to dinner, she says. But when she got to his hotel room, it was clear he didn't plan to go out. Mm. He was wearing pajama pants, Stormy Daniels told In Touch magazine in 2011. By the way, again, I've I've said this before. I, I love the porn star names. And if you're trying to figure out what your porn star name is, you take the name of your first pet and the street that you grew up in. Um, for me, it was Sunshine Acacia or Acacia Sunshine. Go go figure. All right. He was wearing pajama pants, Stormy Daniels told In Touch magazine in 2011, describing what she said was a consensual sexual encounter with Donald Trump five years before. Trump has denied it ever happened. In Daniels' description, this was an unremarkable hookup between two people in the outer orbits of Hollywood fame. Daniels was a star of adult movies, and I guess I would put the word star in quotation marks. Trump's reality show, The Apprentice, was slumping. At this Lake Tahoe celebrity tournament, the organizers had given him only fifth billing, listing the real estate developer two spots below Ray Romano in their lineup of stars. Ooh, that's got to hurt. Now, that casual night and the connection is allegedly, it allegedly created between a future president and a porn star has altered the course of Daniel's life and threatens to alter the course of the Trump presidency. This is the Wall Street Journal writing. Um, days before the 2016 election, Daniels agreed to remain silent about the alleged encounter in exchange for a $130,000 payment arranged by Trump's longtime attorney, according to a court filing. But in recent weeks, her story started leaking out. Last week, the attorney obtained a temporary restraining order from an arbitration judge, barring her from talking about the deal. Trump uh, continues to deny that the affair occurred. Um, According to her, this would be Stormy Daniels, uh, she said that, uh, that, that the time this happened, Trump didn't say anything about keeping their encounter a secret. At the time of the golf tournament, Lake Tahoe, he had been married to his third wife, Melania, for a year and a half. Their son was four months old. Trump turned 60 that summer. He spent much of it in California, where one of his favorite haunts was a Beverly Hills hotel, a pink stucco landmark, and the private bungalow on its lush grounds, according to people familiar with his visits. Some people come to Hollywood to start their tr- career, their TV careers. Trump had come to reboot his. The Apprentice had made him world famous, but after five seasons, its audience had declined. The show had shifted its location from New York's Trump Tower to Beverly Hills as part of a broader um, reboot. Later, several women alleged that Trump made advances on them during this period of time. Daniels was at this golf tournament for um, work. She had appeared in more than two dozen adult films, had begun to direct some herself. Okay. Uh, She told In Touch that a company she was working for, Wicked Pictures, go figure, had been paid to bring the porn actress to the golf tournament. Um, Trump offered her a ride on his golf cart. Um, Trump invited her, this is her story, Trump invited her to his room where she met a bodyguard named Keith inside the room. She said her and Trump um, had a brief conversation before getting down to business. Um, dot, 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 dot. Anyhow, he told her, this is her story, 
Uh, he told her he would get her a slot on The Apprentice. I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you. I have to see you again. You're amazing. Um, we'll get you on. That never worked out. So, um, And then according to Stormy Daniels, they had various conversations over the next year and a half, but it kind of um, fizzled out. And there was nothing beyond this one night. All right, so now everybody's familiar with the story. She's now surfaced. The allegation is she was paid $130,000 in hush money, but she now does not want to be quiet about this. And I was watching the network news and some of the talking head shows last night. And as you might expect, the president, even though this was 11 or 12 years ago, and a porn star, that's getting a lot of attention. There is, of course, just that pure purient interest in this. But I guess the question is, does anybody care about that beyond, all right, you know, when the president was a 60-year-old real estate developer, this porn actress says that, you know, they had a sexual encounter. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand that we are fascinated with the sex lives of the rich and the famous and the powerful. I, I get that. So I understand why, for example, there's several stories about this in the Washington Post and the New York Times today and in various other sort of publications. I understand all that. But in the big picture, do you care? 414-799-1620. Again, the president says this didn't happen. She says it did I don't know. I wasn't at this golf tournament in Lake Tahoe in 2006 or 2007, so I have no opinion one way or the other. I don't know. But even if it did happen, does this matter? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we talked a lot. I remember I was doing a radio show back during the Bill Clinton years, and we talked a lot about you know what happened between him and Monica Lewinsky. Of course... That was something that occurred with somebody who worked in the White House, who was an intern, and it occurred while he was the president, he being Bill Clinton, the president of the United States. Does anybody really care if Donald Trump, 11 or 12 years ago, while a big-time real estate developer and a would-be TV star, do you care if he had a one-night stand with this porn star? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'll give you my answer in two minutes. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner. 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Miriam Mount Pleasant writes, does anyone care? Yes, his wife. But if you marry a serial philanderer, that's what you get. Just saying. It's Mary. Um, let's see. Now here, and th- this is why I bring this up. I have a text here from someone who says, I can only the, imagine the outrage this would have caused if it had been President Obama. All right, and I think that is a fair comment. That's the way you have to look at this. Would this have gotten the same degree of attention, one way or, or the other, if this had been Barack Obama? If suddenly there was some woman who said, hey, 12 years before, twelve years ago, before the man was president, before the man was in politics, you know, I had a one-night stand with him, would that be the subject of these type of stories in the Washington Post? Or the flip side would be, um, you know, would this be all people on conservative talk radio were talking about? My take on this is I thought the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing was legitimate because it involved something that happened when he was the president and involved somebody in the Oval Office. This, to me, whether or not Donald Trump had a relationship with a porn star 11 or 12 years ago, 
I mean, on the scale of one to ten, with ten being I really, really care and one being eh, um, this would be about a minus nine. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Steve in Brookfield. Steve, you're on WTMJ. So that was kind of a little, little bit of my thunder there. I think this scenario has been tried out in the court of public opinion with Bill Clinton. And at that point in time, we were told, you know, it, it's just sex. Everybody does it. It's none of our business. Mm-hmm. Mo- move on. And the difference here is with Trump, it was like 11, 12 years ago. And, and truly, I think it's a non-issue. It's just something that they can throw against the wall and see if it sticks. Okay, now let me ask you the ad thing, though. Um, part okay. of the reason this is back in the news is the allegation that shortly before the presidential election, there was this deal struck and she was paid $130,000 to not go public with her story anymore. Um, d- does, does that make it more relevant or more significant? In relation to her breaching that agreement, or well, or, or then, or them doing the agreement, to, right? Well, from let, let us say that let us say that the president was aware that his attorney was making an arrangement like this to pay her hush money, and you know, in order to not tell her story. I mean, is that something that is relevant to the Trump presidency? I don't think so, and I think it's just. Uh, I think it was just him trying to hide uh, perceived blemish, whether it was or not. Right. I don't know. Um, and, I mean, people put makeup on before they go on TV to hide things. Not, <laughs> not a great analogy. But... Yeah, I'm not, I, I was with you. But yeah, that's, uh, okay. No, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, for, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I got got to got to think that went through there. Oh, I've got this kind of. I, I've got a. I've got a blemish here. I've got that. I've got that zit under my nose here. I think I'm going to put some blemish. Oh, I've got a porn star in my closet. I. I but I. I understand the point. I mean, I, I guess is it relevant because if you believe her that there were efforts taken to try to get her not to come public with her story. Now, and, and again, of course, that's it, it's nobody's saying that these are illegal efforts or anything like that. I mean, she says her story is we had a consensual relationship. I mean, it, it was this consensual one night stand. He didn't force himself on me. We were both grown ups and all those sort of things. So th- this isn't like, again, it's not like blackmail or something like that. And you have public figures all the time who cut these kind of deals. I, I know, you know, the name Kobe Bryant's been thrown around a lot. I mean, Kobe Bryant was, you know, believed to have raped a woman. That that's exactly what the accusations were, and all of a sudden she decides she doesn't want to cooperate after she reaches a private settlement with Brian. 414-799-1620. Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How do you do? I'm well, I, thank you. I, I have a problem because it, it, it relates to his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I wonder if in, we went on and on about Clinton and then uh, Wiener's story and all that. If it would have been Barry Sanders, would you have felt um, I, I think that it, it speaks to his morals, and it's not just the one incident. He had that where, where they taped him on the bus, yeah. and that was his voice. Right. And I think is I don't pay nobody pays somebody one hundred thirty thousand dollars if it didn't happen. Come right. On. Well, I guess yeah, my I, okay. I mean, so from a from a perspective of character, do you think that this 
this sheds new light on on Donald Trump, or do you think that voters had a pretty clear <laughs> had a pretty clear pretty pretty clear idea of what type of guy he was when they elected him? Uh, again, going back to, for example, that Access Hollywood thing that you used, you, you said. Yeah, I, I think it does go to his really does go to his character because, I mean, especially since he had a young wife and mm-hmm. uh, I mean a wife and a young child, just you know. A year into uh, she had the baby and stuff, right. and he's out running around. It, me personally, I think it is. It's almost it's pretty close to prostitution when you pay somebody one hundred thirty thousand dollars. I think this should have came out. I should if they weren't afraid of it, it should have came out before the election. Yeah, no, thank, um, well, thank, well, I mean, and it, it you know, now she did. She, I mean, she told her story originally to some magazine, you know, back in 2011. So this story had been out there for a long time. I, I guess to, to your point, I don't think, and again, President Trump denies this happened. He said it, it didn't occur. Um, I, I'm not sure how many people necessarily believe that particular thing, but I, I don't know that anybody... I don't know that anybody thinks that President Trump was an, an altar boy um, during, you know, during his years. I mean, I, I get the idea that this was kind of a, he was sort of a high flying real estate developer, TV star. Um, you know, my, my guess is that, you know, over the years, there were probably lots and lots of women who might be able to tell the Stormy Daniels story. Now, again, she's not saying she was sexually assaulted. Um, does does this change anything? 414-799-1620. Dan on the South Side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Hey, I'm well. I've, I've talked to you a few times. Uh, I'm 100 percent independent. And as I said to your person, I just, can this guy get away with anything? I mean, I'd like to see exactly what she's got, and there's nothing that's fine, but how does this guy, you know, I listen to your listeners, how do you know what this guy does? Well, how do you know if there's any money involved in it with the Republicans? We don't know. Well, I would say let her talk and do everything. Do well, but I mean, I, but she has given, I mean, she she's really told her story. So let, let, let's assume that she's telling the truth. She's she's a porn actress. She is hired together with a number of her colleagues to go out to this golf tournament. She meets him. She rides around his golf cart. He invites her up to his hotel room, and they do the nasty together. And he, he promises her to try to get her on celebra- on Apprentice. That doesn't work out. Okay, so l- let's assume that that's the story, because that, that's pretty much what she says happened. She she doesn't say that she was sexually assaulted. She says, hey, you know, we had a consensual one-night stand. Does, does that reflect on his ability to be the president? Well, here's the thing. And they, they talk about it. I don't know if you talk about it. I don't listen to the show every minute of the day. But what about this money thing? What about this? Did, how did this money get involved in this relationship? And how is, is the Republicans involved in it? I don't know. Neither do you. Well, I, I mean, I don't think. I mean, think, I don't think the. I, I don't think anybody suggests that the Republican Party came up and, and paid this money. Now, it, it's Trump's lawyer who says he paid the money. Whether he was somehow reimbursed by the president or something, I I don't think anybody argues that this is public money. That's I don't think anybody suggests that this is just an effort. Look, here here's the bottom line, and and what I'm about to say is probably not going to make anybody happy. Do I think this is going to be a, a killer for the presidency? No, I don't. I, I I don't. I think you know in in many situations i mean I, I think this whole idea of character matters and this stuff that kind of went out the window during clinton and Lewinsky. i mean we, we did 
Um, having said that, um, as somebody who does still think that character should matter, I mean, this does not reflect well on the president. And, I mean, look, I, I understand that grown-ups are grown-ups, and he's 60 years old when this thing supposedly happened. You know, and, and I, to me, it is nothing to be proud of. Also, though, it's, it's no surprise. I believe the Access Hollywood tape. I, I just think one of the things that's going on here is this is indicative of how far things have changed. I, if, if you would have told me, let's go back to that Access Hollywood tape. If you would have told me that somebody could have something like that come out in a campaign and, and be able to not only survive to continue the campaign, but ultimately win, I would have told you it, it was just absolutely impossible. So the, the needle has moved. What is acceptable has moved. Do I think Stormy Daniels is going to bring down the Trump administration no, I, I I don't. I think this is mostly kind of smoke and mirrors and titillation. Does it does it reflect though on the character of the president? Yeah, it it does. There's just no way there's no way around it. And I don't think anybody, Republican or Democrat, should get in a position of trying to defend the indefensible like so many Democrats did during the Clinton Lewinsky years. Twelve twenty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, when we come back, a woman whose dog was mauled by pit bulls, wants something done. Stick around. 1228, Jeff Wagner. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm looking at my producer, Gru, going, okay, isn't there supposed to be music playing and stuff? And he's acknowledging, yes. Um, we've got early Brewers baseball. Um, our coverage starts around 155 or so this afternoon. This will be the last Brewers exhibition game that impacts on my schedule um, simply because after daylight savings, after daylight saving, not savings, plural, whatever I, whenever I fail to make sure that it is a singular, not a plural, I always hear from people. Thank you for correcting me. Um, but um, once that kicks in, the, the games will be starting at like 2.55 hour time. Um, Brewers opening day, three weeks from today. How cool is that? Insight. 2018, three weeks from yesterday. Ticket sales, I am told, are robust. Matter of fact, I was talking to some of the representatives, some of the guests today, kind of uh, setting up the lineup. $25. We're going to have a lot of fun. Go to WTMJ.com, and you'll see Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018. I hope you can join us. Um, Like I say, lots of interesting people, especially in an election year. Also, I have a pair of tickets I'm going to be giving away to Insight between now and the end of the show, so keep listening for that. All right, yesterday we talked briefly about the story of the guy in West Dallas who um, was walking his dog. His dog was attacked by two pit bulls or pit bull type of dogs belonging to one of his neighbors. The dogs had gotten loose. The dogs attacked the man's dog, wouldn't let go. What he did is he was, this happened in an alley behind his house. He ran into his house. He came out with a handgun and shot and killed both of the pit bull or pit bull type dogs that were attacking his dog. You know, we discussed it from a number of different perspectives, including was this an overreaction? And my answer was, was no. Well, you know, another day, another attack by this type of dog. Um, WISN Channel 12 had the story. Here's the story. Um, um, woman, her name is Cynthia, um, and she had a little dog, um, a Maltese mix. The dog's name was Marley, and she had gotten him from the Humane Society about eight years ago. Well, here's what happened. Monday afternoon, apparently, you know, she's out with, with the dog, walking the dog, when um, 
two dogs that the police describe as pit bulls escape from a neighbor's yard and attack her little dog. You know, she says, well, as these dogs start running at her, of course, my dog starts to bark. One of them grabs her head in their mouth and started shaking her like a rag doll. This occurred at her neighborhood. She lives like on 64th and West Moltke. Um, she then starts whacking, trying to hit the dogs to get them off her dog. Apparently, there's other witnesses there who come and start trying to hit the dog as well. None of this works until the owner of the dogs appears, grabs the animals by the scruff, and drags them back to their home. All right, this woman was injured as a result of trying to get these two pit bulls off of her dog. Her dog, unfortunately, had bite marks all over her body, and they took her to the vet, and ultimately... Um, she had to be put down, which is something that kind of, you know, if, if you're a dog owner like I am, in particular, if you've got a little dog, it just kind of goes right through you. Um, okay, so now this attack is being investigated. This, of course, comes on the heels of a similar sort of thing that happened in West Dallas. This, this lady is absolutely outraged that these two dogs have killed her dog, and she wants the dogs put down. And, and that's the story that she's she's telling. Now, I take no position on whether or not these dogs should be put down or not. But I I do take a position. You know, whenever we've talked about these dog attacks before, we always get into the debate about are there there bad dogs, are there just bad, dangerous breeds of dogs, or are there bad owners? And I would expand that. It's not necessarily a bad owner, but maybe just an unaware owner, a negligent owner, whatever. I think in situations like this, I guess one question is, should the dogs be put down? Okay. The other question, though, is whether or not the owner of the dogs that got free should be criminally prosecuted. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you negligently drive your car and you end up hitting somebody, you might be eligible for criminal prosecution. If you choose to own a breed of dog, which, if let loose, can cause this kind of havoc, and those dogs then get let loose, should the owners be prosecuted? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is absolutely yes. I think, first of all, any dog owner has a responsibility to make sure that they're going to keep their animal under control. All right. Now, I understand animals can get loose and things like that, and sometimes stuff happens. But if you are going to be in a position where you're going to choose to own a type of dog, that if that dog gets loose, you can have situations like this, a woman injured and a dog killed. Yeah, if that dog gets loose, yes, I think you should be prosecuted, and I'm not just talking necessarily about a civil fine. I believe that there should be criminal liability and maybe some jail time. That's what comes with the decision that you make to own certain types of dogs. And this idea, I'm just trying to picture the terror this woman has. You know, you're out there, you're by your house, you're minding your own business, and all of a sudden you see these two pit bulls coming like bats out of you-know-where at your little dog. Can you, um, and I guess I, I was watching the interview with this woman on television, and you know, she's talking about how, how one of these pit bulls literally has her little dog's head in its mouth, you know, shaking it around like a rag doll. I will tell you, if something like that happened to my dog, it would haunt me till my dying day. And yes, 
the person who is responsible for not keeping that dog under control, I believe, has criminal liability. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not saying at this point in time that that person shouldn't be allowed to own that type of dog, but if you make the decision to own a type of dog, particular a dog, particularly a dog that can cause that type of stuff, um, yeah, and you let that dog loose or that dog gets loose, you bet there should be criminal accountability. Let's start with Phil in Cedarburg. Phil, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting topic. Um, you know, one thing that's always bothered me, and, you know, I, I guess I would even take your, your point a step further, is these humane societies all over the place have a lot of pit bulls in there. Right, because people decide they don't want them. Right. Yeah. Pe- yeah. And these... And, they don't give you any special training when you get a pit bull. You know, they don't say, well, this is a potentially dangerous breed. You need extra training. Be careful of this. They don't do any of that. It's just a dog. I would take it further and start holding the Humane Society responsible if one of these dogs attacks and hurts somebody that came from the Humane Society. You know, they're throwing these dangerous dogs into our community with no training whatsoever for these, for these owners. You know, and they'll probably say something like, well, these people usually have owned pit bulls in the past. They know that's bogus. You know, they have responsibility to our community if they're putting these dogs in our community. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's tough for me to come down too hard on humane society because they're doing God's work. Uh, there, there's no question about it. And, and placing, for example, placing pit bulls is very, very difficult because there's a lot of people who just – don't want the added responsibility and don't want the risk. And I get it. I mean, with all due respect to those of you who own pit bulls, I, there's no way in God's green earth that I would own a pit bull. I, I just I, I just wouldn't. I've seen too many of the horror stories. And I know everybody says, well, yes, you've got these horror stories, but my fluffy would never do that. And, and that may very well be the case. But I don't think I'd want to, you know, take the chance on that. But if you do make that decision, as an individual to own that type of dog, then I think you have to have some degree of accountability that goes on with that. Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Freddie. Yeah. Oh, hi. Uh, this is Freddie. Yeah. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I believe there should be uh, cr- criminal liability. And I also told your screener about a story. I have a cabin up north, up in Marinette County, and it's out pretty far out in the boonies, okay? And the woman across the road, she had two Rottweilers. And every now and then those Rottweilers would get loose and they'd even come after me on my tractor. Right. Okay. Well, her insurance company came over to inspect the property. They seen those two Rottweilers. Did you know they threatened her? And unless she gets rid of those Rottweilers, they were going to cancel her homeowner's insurance and her property liability insurance. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I mean, thanks. You see, a lot of, a lot of insurers are doing exactly that. I mean, they're taking the position that, um, there are certain types of dogs, certain breeds of dogs that if you're going to own those dogs, you're either going to have to pay an increased premium or alternatively, you know, they're not going to insure you, period, because, again, there, there's the risk. If you – I used this example yesterday. I mean, if, if you own a poodle, I'm not saying that poodle might not snap and bite some child, but if it snaps and bites the child, you know, you're, you're looking at, okay, at the emergency room maybe, you know, with two stitches. If you have a Rottweiler or you have a pit bull that snaps and attacks some child, you're, you're looking at a whole different 
different story. And that's why, like I say, a lot of insurers are, are, are just getting into this now saying, if you want insurance, you can't own those dogs. But I, r- regardless, I just think there needs to be a degree of accountability. Is If you're going to own a dog, you have responsibility to begin with. But if you're going to own the type of dog that if it snaps and gets loose can cause this kind of damage, yeah, then you got to make sure it doesn't get loose. And if it does, you have to be held accountable. Greg in Watertown. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Greg. Um, with, I, all the other callers, I have to agree with, except one, and that's with the uh, Humane Society. Is you, as a dog owner, when you take the responsibility on of that animal, you know, you have a big responsibility mm-hmm. to, you got to know that animal. And you got to know what you're dealing with, whether it's a big dog, little dog, it doesn't matter. You have to know what you're dealing with. And, yeah, you have to be responsible and introduce that dog to other dogs in the right way. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and you have to, I, I think, keep your keep those dogs under control, um, particularly when it's the type of dog that if it gets loose, something like this can happen. And I, you know, I, I just... You know, whenever you hear these stories, you always hear the owners coming forward and saying things like, well, I, I'm just shocked that this dog did this. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm not shocked at all. This this sounds like typically, you know, what happens. The dogs get loose, they run, they attack the other dog, it barks at them, and then they respond by killing the dog. I, I just, this makes complete and total sense. I'm sure this happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you you got to, you're responsible for that dog, just like if, Okay, if your kid went out and beat some other kid up, you're responsible as the parent. It's the same thing. Yeah. No, I no, I, right, thanks. I mean, there needs to be a degree of accountability. And if that means fewer and fewer people choosing to own certain breeds of dogs, I, I'm okay with that. I, I just... Um, I, I think certain types of breeds of dogs, and I understand whenever I go down this route, I, I hear from people all over the world who, you know, love love pit bulls and these types of breeds, and that, that's okay. I'm not arguing you shouldn't be able to own them, but I am saying that if you do own them, you have added levels of responsibility, and if you fail to fulfill those responsibilities, you need to be held accountable. All right, when we come back, big story number three. Gone in less than 10 seconds. Welcome to Milwaukee County. Stick around. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The free agent dominoes are slowly beginning to fall in Major League Baseball. Will the Brewers get involved? Do you want them to? Matt Pauley takes a deeper look at who's left this evening, 835 on Brewers Weekly. All right. As I said, three weeks from yesterday is Insight 2018. Um, tickets are on sale now. Our ticket sales, the word they use to me, are robust. Want to have you come out and see us? Um, tell you what, to make it easier for you to do that, I'm going to give away a pair of tickets. Insight 2018, the Country Springs Hotel. Doors open at 6 o'clock on um, Wednesday evening, March 28th. It's going to be a lot of fun. and hope to see a lot of people there. Let's give away a pair of tickets to caller number 9. Caller number 9 at 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller number 9 wins a pair of tickets 
to uh, join me and our various guests. Insight 2018 presented by Annex Wealth Management. Again, it should be an awful lot of fun. All right, big story number three while Gru is lining up the uh, Finding Our Winner. Um, gone, you know, there, there's a movie about car thefts, Gone in 60 Seconds. Um, well, that's that, that movie has nothing on the criminals that are operating in um, this area when it comes to stealing cars. And one of the frustrations I have is you have the police who are now saying, well, you know, don't don't leave your car unattended and running under any circumstances, even if it's in your driveway. And that appears to be the case. We had the story uh, two days ago, I think out of, it was out of West Dallas, where the guy, um, it, he's got his car running as is he, the car is up, at the top of his driveway, and he's got the car running, he's got his kids waiting to come out in the cold, and he turns around, he leaves the car running because he's trying to warm up the car. Um, he, he's gone no less than 30 seconds, and you have the these two punks who come and steal the guy's car in less than 30 seconds. Well, all right, you would have thought that that would have been a record, but it's not. Gone in less than 10 seconds. Uh, this is the way Channel 6 reported it. Running Jeep swiped from driveway as woman tried to load dogs. Here's the deal. A Wauwatosa woman watched as thieves stole her vehicle from her driveway yesterday. She was feet away when it happened, and she said it took just seconds. Thanks to some quick work by the woman and the police, her vehicle was recovered hours later. Um, the woman, her name is Kimberly, says she was leaving for work, trying to get her dogs into her car near 65th and Meineke. Within seconds, someone else was behind the wheel taking off down the block. I had loaded up my car with all my things to go to work. I started the car and then went inside to get my dog. She's a social worker. She planned to bring them to work with for pet therapy with her clients. She says, we're talking less than 10 seconds. A dark sedan pulled up behind her Jeep. A man jumped out, hopped into the driver's seat. She says, I was screaming, I was screaming. With her vehicle already running, she said she believes the thieves were watching her from afar. My car took off going south through the stop sign on Meineke and 65th. The getaway driver in what I think was a Honda Civic took out going north on 65th. So what happens is you have these two thugs who are just cruising around the area hoping to find a car that's running unattended for even a matter of seconds. And then, like the leeches that they are, they are going to pounce. And that's what happens. This car, and again, this isn't a car that's out on the street. This is a car that's, again, parked at the end of this woman's driveway right by the door. She's got her stuff in. She's trying to warm up the car. She turns around to go get the dogs, and in 10 seconds, the car is gone. She said the dogs were safe after this, but her purse, her cell phone, her work laptop were stolen. Um, you know, ultimately, they ended up um, the they ended up finding finding the car. Um, first of all, her cell phone pinged to a home near 40th and Meineke. Um, she then hired a service to track her Jeep using its GPS system, and it was located near 40th and Meineke Wednesday. Um, the vehicle has, in fact, been recovered. They haven't caught the bad guys as of yet. But here's the bigger point to all this, and this is big story number three. It has now gotten to the point where in this area, you cannot leave your vehicle unattended for even 
10 seconds without it being stolen. Right? We're not talking about, hey, it's 10 below. I, I'm going to leave the car running for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes um, while I go and, and just wait for it to warm up. We are talking about a woman who, hey, I've started the car. I'm getting ready to leave. I'm right there. I'm with the car. And I'm going to go five feet. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to get the dogs. I'm going to bring them out. And even in that 10-second period of time, and maybe she's exaggerating, maybe it was 15 seconds, but that car is going to be gone. That is the community that we are now living in. And, And I bring this up only because we tolerate what we tolerate. There are many, many areas around here where that would not be acceptable. If that was the type of stuff that was going on, there would be pressure brought on local officials. There would be pressure brought on, I don't know, elected officials like district attorneys. There would be pressure brought on judges to treat the people that are doing this because it has a dramatic effect on the quality of life, to treat them like the criminals that they are instead of treating them like, I don't know, progressively educated teenagers who really don't understand the consequences of what they're doing. It's way past time for people in this community to start taking back the streets. And I'm not talking about vigilantism. I'm talking about taking back the streets by making a statement to police, to district attorneys, and to judges that we're not going to tolerate this foolishness anymore. I mean, seriously. If we have now really gotten to the point where you can't leave your car running at the end of your driveway for 10 or 15 seconds while you run in and grab your kid or run in and grab the dog, you know, and and that in that brief period of time, you've got criminals who are out there ready to steal the car. If we have gotten to that point, and apparently we have, it's a clear demonstration that things are completely and totally out of control, and it's way past time for the public to say, we're mad as hell, we're not going to put up with this, and we are going to start taking back our streets. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Brewers baseball coming up uh, in a little bit less than an hour. 135, we're scheduled to be joined by the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel, who announced, uh, it's not a surprise, but he announced today formally that he is running for re-election in November. Got, normally when I talk to Brad, we, we talk about a number of the legal issues that uh, have presented. And he's had an interesting, it's been an interesting three-plus years with regard to uh, the various legal issues that have been there. In many respects, he has been the point of the spear when it comes to various issues that have played out. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about politics and what the electoral map looks like moving forward in Wisconsin in 2018. So he's going to join us around 135. All right. I, it was interesting. I was talking to somebody in the last couple of days who is a very successful businessman in the area who works in the trades right that, that's all I'll, I'll say and I, I the question i was asking him is a question i ask a lot of very successful businessmen when i have a chance to meet him and so well, how's, how's business how's things going and he said it, it, it's just great he said the economy's been booming you know we're getting a lot of, of demand he said sales are up it, it's really really good he said but that actually our problem is that we 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 really have trouble filling jobs he said that you know our our biggest problem is we've got all this work to do but we're having trouble finding you know people who are qualified to do the work 
and then people who are, are going to show up. He said, you know, we, we pay top dollar, we got good benefits, all these different types of things, but we just can't get people that, you know, want to do the work or are skilled enough to do the work or have the work ethic to do the work. He said, that's our biggest challenge. And I will tell you, I hear that from a number of different places. I, I have a friend who owns a, a number of fast food franchises around the state of Wisconsin, and, and he tells me regularly that's the biggest problem that they have. It's not a question of, you know, do you pay $15 an hour? He said, you know, we don't pay minimum wage. We can't pay minimum wage because we just can't get people to work for that. So it's the kind of the market that's taking place with this. But, you know, so I was talking to these people about how the, the trouble they are having finding qualified people who who want to do the work and and I do use the word want to that that's that's clearly an issue and one of the things that I think is an undercurrent for a lot of this is the Foxconn project down in Mount Pleasant now I am on record as believing that Foxconn is going to be a huge success I, I think I understand the phrase game changer is a cliche, but I think in many respects it's, it's going to be a game changer. But these people I were talking to saying it, it is a valid concern. One of the questions is, they said, look, you've got a lot of employers out there right now who are benefiting from the booming economy, and they're, they're having trouble finding workers. What's going to happen when Foxconn starts running, and I understand that there's some people who can't stand Governor Walker and are rooting for this stuff to fail, but I don't think that's going to be the case. But big picture, you know, what's going to happen? Let's say Foxconn works as intended, and let's say you've got three, four, five thousand people working in the next couple of years, and within ten years it, it's thirteen thousand. Um, if there's already a shortage of workers. You know, what is that going to do? Not just where are the workers going to come from that are going to work at Foxconn, but what's going to be the the trickle down? Where are the workers going to come from that are going to fill all the jobs from the businesses that spring up around Foxconn? And, And what about the people who decide? What about the people who decide, hey, we're, um, you know, we're, I don't know, we're, we want to work at Foxconn instead of working at, at, you know, Gru's, I don't know, Gru's siding company. So that they leave Gru and they go to work at Foxconn. Where is Gru going to get the employees for his siding company? And I think that's a question that's out there. Now, one of the things that is important is trying to connect people who may be looking for work with where the work is. This is one of the things that drove me absolutely crazy during the Foxconn debate that with the exception of one or two or actually three legislators from around here, every single Democrat from Milwaukee, Racine, and Kenosha, with a couple minor exceptions, voted against Foxconn. Now, if you are a Democrat in the State Assembly or the State Senate from Milwaukee, what is the number one problem that your community has? Well, maybe crime, but jobs. You know, and, and even for people who, you know, view crime as a problem, many people, their answer is, well, if people have good jobs and they're working, they're less inclined to be, you know, criminals. So you had one Democrat after another in the legislature who sold out their constituents, voted against Foxconn because they didn't want to see Governor Walker succeed, even though it would have helped them. But now... Now you've got people who are saying, well, we've got these huge pockets of unemployment, particularly in Milwaukee, and to a lesser extent in Racine. We've got to figure out ways to get people who are looking for work 
in Milwaukee or Racine, we've got to figure out a way to get them to Foxconn. So the idea right now that's being floated by both the uh, Milwaukee and the Racine County boards is that um, added bus service, bus transit service, which would link these counties in an effort to get more people to Foxconn. And the idea is that this is going to be paid for with funds that would remain from the sale of uh, Midwest Airlines assets. Apparently, this money has been sitting around for a while. They say they've got $4.5 million left over, um, and part or all of that could perhaps be used in trying to you know, invest in regional transit. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I think it's very interesting to me that you have all these liberals who didn't support Foxconn, but now want to take advantage of that. that that's kind of interesting and more than a little bit opportunistic. But let's put that aside for a second. I think you've got to figure out ways to connect for, for the interest of the region. You've got to figure out ways to get people who are looking for work to the area where the work is. That benefits Foxconn, it benefits the people, and it benefits, I think, the other you know businesses in the area who are going to be trying to fill their own needs. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the time for regional transit, particularly regional bus lines, which you don't talk about having to spend a hundred million dollars laying a 2.1 mile trolley track you just need to dedicate some bus lines run them back and forth and then you can adjust as the need works i think regional bus service taking it down to mount pleasant is a um, great great idea 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line let's start with pat in milwaukee pat you're on wtmj hello Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you, hey, sir. This is a great topic because, you know, when they were debating to get Foxconn in here, which I'm totally for because, you know, Wisconsin's a great place to live. And I said to my wife, I'm a small business owner, and I travel also, and everyone is looking for work. And I talk yeah. to these people, and nobody can find anybody. You know, the unemployment rate, sometimes the unemployment rate is going to be what the unemployment rate is going to be because people that have a lot of child support, they don't, it doesn't pay for them to work because of what's being taken out. Right. That's a whole different subject. But instead of build, building these trolleys for millions of dollars and all that, and, you know, yeah, have a privateer bus company come in and say, okay, you get workers from point A to point B, I'll just start my business and, you know, run people, start the economy that way. But instead of saying Milwaukee or Wisconsin, you know, we're open for business, how about Wisconsin, we need workers. <laughs> yeah, you know, could, come to Wisconsin, yeah. try to... I mean, serious, Wisconsin's a great place to live. you got the Four Seasons. It's awesome. We need to entice people here. We don't need to spend millions of taxpayers' dollars to figure out how to get people from this area that only 20% of them really want to work yep. to this area, you know? Well, no, I, I th- first, I mean, thanks, Scott. I think it's a couple things. First of all, you're right. I think that there's... I think the, once once people rec, people go where the jobs are, people flocked to North Dakota once you had the fracking boom. They went to North Dakota, for God's sake. No offense. I've been to North Dakota. Who wants to live in North Dakota? I mean, people in South Dakota tell jokes about people who live in North Dakota. I mean, that's just the reality. So I think you're exactly right, Mike. One of the things you need to do is you need to, uh, I mean, figure out a way to attract more people in. But at the same time, if you've got a population 
that people are looking for work, you need to figure out a way to hook them up with that. And to me, the bus lines, it's what makes the most sense. It's why Tom Barrett's trolley is so darn stupid because all right you're going to run a trolley line down to the lakefront well okay maybe during Summerfest people are going to come into the train depot and they're going to want it from chicago and they're going to want to hop on the trolley and take it down to the lakefront i get it but nobody's going to be doing that in january or february or march or december or november so why spend all the money building a fixed rail system this by using rubber tire buses this is a perfect sort of idea you know run by Buses from different park and rides or whatever, figure out where the population come. This, this to me, and you do it for a fraction of the cost of what a rail system would be. They're on to something. It's 119. This is Jeff Wagner. Baseball in warm Arizona weather. Get up! Get out of here! Go! Bucher is back on your radio this afternoon as the crew welcomes the Diamondbacks to Maryvale Baseball Park. Our Brewers game day coverage starts at 155. Follow the crew in Cactus League action. Got your peanuts here. With the home of the Brewers, WTMJ. Hey, this week's spring home improvement expert is Outdoor Living Unlimited. They are great people. What are the top things that you take pride in? Your family, obviously, your job, perhaps, your car, your house, and, of course, your yard. Who doesn't love showing off their yard? Well, maybe you don't. If you don't, maybe it's time you called the good folks at Outdoor Living Unlimited. They can make your yard the kind of yard that you are proud of. They do really cool things. Outdoor Living Unlimited can craft the perfect backyard patio, decks, stylish walls, screened-in porches, stamped concrete, fireplaces, or fire pits. How cool is that? Outdoor cooking areas or outdoor kitchens, aquascapes, and amazing water features. It's the ultimate in backyard craftsmanship. And Outdoor Living Unlimited uses virtual reality, full-dimensional technology, That's a fancy way of saying that they can show you exactly what your final project is going to look like on your backyard space. It really is incredible how they do this. To get started, here's what I suggest. Go to their showroom, check out the different displays and pavers they have, then meet with one of their specialists to craft your dream into a reality, and do it now so you can start enjoying your backyard this summer. Outdoor Living Unlimited. Type in 665 Larry Court, Waukesha into your GPS or maps. It'll get you there. You can also check them out online, Outdoor un, OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is... The whole idea of where are workers going to come from and how are we going to get them there is, I mean, that is the other issue with Foxconn. I think Foxconn is going to be a huge success, but the issue is going to be where do people come from? Um, Let's see, I have a text. We have two foundries, one in Racine, one in Sheboygan. We employ more than 300 associates. We are already experiencing an inability to staff at current levels, and turnover rates are higher than they have ever been. We have increased wages, implemented softer attendance policies, and implemented new training practices, and we just aren't able to get fully staffed. We are a typical American manufacturer, and we would support transportation systems that would help us get fully staffed. A- absolutely. that That's the thing. And you don't need to build trolleys. What you need to do is, I mean, that that's what the beauty of, like, adding bus lines and stuff is, running from different park and rides. That's the way to get people to and from ty- different types of jobs until they get settled in their job. And then what they turn around and do is they generally, a lot of times, they'll buy a car and want to drive anyways. But that's the issue that's going on, and it's something that needs to be taken into account. I was... Um, I was talking to somebody. This is, this, I, I, I have a very interesting 
group of people that I, I end up talking to from time to time, and I got kind of an inquiring mind, and so sometimes I pry when I ask these questions. But it's always like, I hope you don't mind me asking, but and what I find is people are generally, they like talk about it. I was talking to a guy, um, and I, I won't mention what the industry or whatever, um, but it's a manufacturing concern. They have 100, they had 100% turnover of line employees in the space of a year. 100%. In, and that, not management, but in the people who were like working on the lines, that means everybody, <laughs> everybody was gone over a 12-month period of time. And and it, it's not a bad place to work. It's not necessarily that ex- it's, I mean, they pay okay. I mean, it's, it's not great. But the guy was saying, we can't find people who will work, who will keep coming back to work, and who will, you know, show up day after day. We, we, we desperately try to find these people. So this is going to be part of the challenge, which is, I, I mean, I think especially once Foxconn starts, I don't want to hear this, I can't find work, because I think there's going to be plenty of jobs that are around. Now, might, might not be the job that you want, but I think anybody with some common sense and a decent work ethic, I think they're going to be able to find a job. So that's what the challenge is going to be. Will they take the jobs, and will they keep showing up? 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. How confident are you in a Sogard VR tandem at second base? Greg Matzik wants to see the Brewers reach back out to Neil Walker. Share your take with Greg tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. My producer, Gru, you are a pr- you are a pointer. You are a proud graduate of UW Stevens Point. What was your degree in? Communications and digital web development. And you are working. I mean, a communications degree would be like a stepping stone to... All, all the glamour of, of working at this particular radio station. Got it. <laughs> right. Specialized in broadcasting. Okay, so so you picked a career, a, a major, which at least led to the career that you are, in fact, pursuing. Um, and, and that's great. That That's absolutely great. The story is, of course, that UW-Stevens Point plans to cut 13 majors, including things like history, political science, and geography, and instead add other programs that um, would candidly be more in what they call high-demand career paths. So what they're saying is we don't have enough people that are enrolling in political science or history or geography to support offering the majors, so we're going to get rid of those majors, and we're going to concentrate on other majors that people might actually be able to get jobs in these various fields. Some people are very upset about this. I think it makes just eminent sense, and this is the wave of the future. Look, there's always going to be universities that offer degrees in political science or history, no knock on any of those at all. But at the same time, if there's not enough demand to support those different majors, well, I think universities have to say, okay, we're going to move on to plan B, which is other stuff. And, yes, that means that if you have your heart set on being a history major and they don't offer it at UW-Stevens Point, well, maybe you got to go to UWM or maybe you got to go to La Crosse or maybe you got to go to Eau Claire. But th- is that really that bad? And, yes, that might mean it might cost somebody who lives in Wausau a little more money because they can't commute or whatever, but that's just kind of the reality. You can't have colleges nowadays that are just offering programs where there aren't enough students to support those various programs. 
136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When you open the dictionary and look up the term career prosecutor, you see a picture of Wisconsin attorney Brad Schimmel. Brad began his career in 1990 um, in the Waukesha County District Attorney's Office. Right out of law school, he became the Waukesha District Attorney in 2006 after serving 16 years as an assistant district attorney. And then in 2014, he was elected to uh, state uh, the position of state attorney general, where he has served, I think, in, with distinction over the last several years. Uh, Brad Schimmel announced today, it's nearly no secret, but he announced today that he is running for re-election. And we are joined by the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Sure. I, I just, did you feel old? I mean, started in 1990. Man, that's like going on, going on 28 years now, huh? Actually, in 89, I started in the oh. Waukesha DA's office as an intern. Okay. <laughs> I tried seven jury trials before I ever got out of law school. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's, that's what being a career prosecutor is all about. Well, I don't want to bury the lead. Um, you announced in a video today that you are, in fact, running for re-election this November. Yeah. You know, and I and you're right. I've not exactly been coy about it. I've made no secret of the fact, but it is worth announcing that the team is all assembled and um, we've got the website updated and up and running. You know, after nearly 30 years now, um, we've at DOJ, we've had some tremendous successes and there's a lot more to do. And I'm excited about the opportunities. And I hope that your listeners will check out the website, bradshimmel.com. They can find on their videos about things that we've accomplished, things that we're, we're looking at doing in the future, and it has been a fantastic run, and I'm far from done. Brad, let's let's look back over the last um, you know three plus years that, that you've been in office, and um, I, I, I've used the phrase you've certainly been kind of the, the tip of the spear when it's come to a lot of litigation, defending legislation, challenging legislation. As you look back over the last couple of years, what what are one or two accomplishments that you are particularly proud of? Well, certainly on the public safety side, we've got a lot of great accomplishments. Um, Jeff, we are leading the nation in Wisconsin in what we're doing to battle the opiate epidemic. Um, I, I, I've got four other states, Minnesota, Maine, Nebraska, and Georgia, that are all just using the Dose of Reality campaign that we develop, that I developed here. Um, this sort of lock, stock, and barrel, using it in their state. I'm, um, they're all looking at us to find out, what are you guys doing? We're having great successes. We're getting the message to our medical community. They're reducing prescribing of opioids on their own. Um, we're getting the message to the citizens who help us out by bringing in 330,000 pounds in unused medications in the last three years. That's 17 semi-trailers full. And we couldn't do that if the public weren't getting the message. We are always in the top two or three states in America for our drug take-back efforts. And we are number one time after time in the number of law enforcement agencies that participate. So we've brought everybody together to solve a very big problem. We've turned to methamphetamine and uh, done a number of really, really good things with that. We've held several summits in the Northwoods, one with 41 counties represented at it. But we've launched now a public awareness campaign in the Northwoods of Wisconsin where methamphetamine is overrunning their communities. Um, we have put... Um, an assistant attorney general up in the Eau Claire DCI office to help with those drug cases. And I know from your experience, you know how valuable that is when a mm -hmm. prosecutor is working hand-in-hand -hand with law enforcement like that. With our elder abuse uh, task force, we launched many things. But, for instance, one thing, um, about a month and a half, we launched our Safe Seniors Camera Program, where citizens who have concerns about whether their loved one is being abused 
um, by a caregiver, we'll, we'll, we'll help get them set up with surreptitious cameras to help prove or disprove their concern. Our human trafficking efforts in Wisconsin are also nation-leading. Um, we have our Human Trafficking Bureau that's coordinating a statewide strategy. We have many collaborations with private sector, like the Trucking Association, the Hotel and Lodging Association, emergency department staff at the hospitals, mall staff, uh, the Motor Coach Association. All of them are on board with us. We've, we're training them to be eyes and ears for us out there. We have coordinated the considerable resources that are available in the state so that when someone comes in contact with a survivor who needs help, we, we can get them connected up. It's almost like going to Hotels.com online and, and finding the right place to take somebody to get them help. That's critical. You know the human trafficking thing from your work, Jeff, mm-hmm. that that it, these, these survivors, these people that are being trafficked, are so manipulated psychologically that they have to have absolute confidence that we're here for them, not just today, but long-term to help them out. We've put in place a, a network of resources now that can give them that confidence, and they're starting to help us take out the traffickers because we need their help if we're going to do this. You talked a little bit about us being the tip of the spear on litigation. We, we were the tip of the spear that stopped the clean power plan dead in its tracks um, before it could take tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs in Wisconsin out. Um, we mm-hmm. did it at the U.S. Supreme Court. That was the Wisconsin Department of Justice. The waters of the U.S. were the tip of the spear on that. And recently, we filed the lawsuit now that is finally going to prevail in establishing that Obamacare is an unconstitutional federal overreach on the rights of the states and the citizens. Um, and certainly in Wisconsin, we've worked very hard to create and maintain a stable and predictable legal and regulatory environment. Companies like Foxconn would not be coming here. They've talked about this in their decision. Why they chose Wisconsin? Because of that regulatory environment. And it's not that everything goes your way as a business. It's that you know what the rules are and you can make good predictions. And many employers in this state are expanding their operations because they're finding that they know what the rules are. And we've worked hard to develop that at DOJ. We were talking to Attorney General Brad Schimmel. Brad, one of the things I think people sometimes lose track of is the fact that the Department of Justice and your, your office, you in, in many, probably most cases, actually you know end up being the lawyer for the state. So uh, a number of, of initiatives that have come out under Governor Walker and have come out over the legislature over the years, you know, have, have predictably been challenged. And it's your department, it's you guys that have represented the state in, I want to say, most cases successfully in upholding and getting the various legislation upheld. We have been wildly successful. And I've attracted great lawyers to the Wisconsin Department of Justice. And the reason why people who were clerks for Justice Kennedy on the U.S. Supreme Court and Justice Scalia on the U.S. Supreme Court, the reason why they've agreed to come to Wisconsin Department of Justice and take a big pay cut is because I promised them if it's the right fight to have, we're in the fight. And I will not dither about whether there's a chance that we could lose. We're in it to fight the good fight. And because we've got the right team here, we are winning. And absolutely, we, you know, Wisconsin's a right to work state now. And that, that is, it's, the legislature passed it, the governor signed it, and then we had to defend it in the federal and state courts. And we won. And you can go on and on. Brad, one of the things that's always impressed me is, is you haven't shied away from difficult cases. From a purely political perspective, you guys could have taken a pass on the whole John Doe thing. And some people might have argued that, again, from your taking off your, 
attorney general hat and putting on your Brad Schimmel as a politician perhaps running for re-election hat, you could make an argument that maybe it would just been easier to just stay out of the whole, the John Doe thing, particularly the investigations into the leaks and things like that. But you got you didn't do that. You you thought that that was your job, and you waded in and did it. Jeff, you're, you're, you're an old prosecutor. You, you know, those of us who are good at it and love what we're doing, we can't stand when a guy gets away with something. Those leaks were unlawful. And we were charged with finding the source of those leaks. We never did identify it, but we got to the truth of many of the things that were going on. And I, I wouldn't do it any other way. That's what that's what people elected me to do was to do the right thing, not worry about whether this is politically the best thing for me. Yeah. Brad Schimmel, um, announcing today you're going to run for re-election. Thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward. You're going to join us again at Insight in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward yeah, to that. I'm looking forward to it. And, and please check out the website. I do have a race here. Um, Governing Magazine has identified Wisconsin as the number one toss-up state for an incumbent AG. That means I've got a challenge. There's going to be a lot of money coming in, and there's a huge contrast between me and my opponent. Good enough. Brad Schimmel, we'll look forward to talking to you in a couple weeks at Insight 2018. Bye. Okay, take care. That's Brad Schimmel, the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin. I've known Brad for... well, a long, long time. I knew him when he first started in the Waukesha DA's office, and uh, I, in, in my opinion at least, Wisconsin is very well served having him in that position. All right, 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Brewers Baseball, coming up in just a couple minutes. L- let me be indulgent for, for just a minute here. Um, I, I understand that for a lot of guys, you, you, you go to one of these like chain haircut places and it doesn't you know it's fine you get somebody different all the time it doesn't matter well some of us who are old school we love going to barber shops and we develop rapports with our barbers um for god i want to i want to say probably 30 years i i went to the same barber the, the guy's name was 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 gene gene seidel he ran a place called the mug and brush which was in the 411 building right across the street from the um the old federal building which is where i worked when i was in the u.s attorney's office and i, I kept going down to gene he was my barber for 30 years and he was just I, about just an, an absolutely great guy i always look forward to, to seeing him and um g- given you know my hair and stuff there's only so much you can do to make me look good but gene always always did his best i i last saw Gene, he was kind enough. He he and his wife, you know, showed up um, for my first wife, my late wife, for for her wake. That's when I last saw him. I bring this up because I just got a notice. Um, a mutual friend told me that Gene had had passed away uh, about ten days ago. I wish I had known it beforehand, but. Um, I've been doing the entire show just, you know, <laughs> thinking about Gene and thinking about, you know, how he'd answer the phone and just all the interesting conversations we had. And, um, you know, I just wanted to just take a minute and just say that, you know, you do develop these relationships with people. And, yes, they're in the service industry, but they become your friends. And Gene was certainly my friend. And I'm sorry to learn of his passing. And my deepest sympathies go to his uh, family. So sail on, my friend. Gene Seidel passed away um, at the age of 83. Brewer baseball is coming up i'm back 12 noon tomorrow we do this all again have a great thursday jeff wagner wtmj